Welcome to Limitless, the Blind Beginnings podcast where seeing things differently inspires limitless possibilities. This podcast is being brought to you by Blind Beginnings, an organization based in Vancouver, Canada, that supports children and youth who are blind or partially sighted, along with their families. Limitless was created in order to inform, educate, entertain, and share stories from within the blind and partially sighted community in order to show the world that the opportunities for those who are blind or partially sighted are truly limitless. And now, it is my pleasure to introduce you to your host, the executive director and founder of Blind Beginnings, Sean Marcelet. Welcome back to Limitless, the Blind Beginnings podcast. I'm your host, Sean Marcelet. Thank you so much for joining us again this week. January 4th was World Braille Day, and in honor of that, we are talking about Braille again today. We have had a couple previous episodes about Braille. In episode 22, we talked with Adam Wilton, who is a teacher of the visually impaired and the director of the Provincial Resource Center for the Visually Impaired, about what Braille is and how it is taught in schools. And in episode 30, we talked with some Braille users about our personal experience with Braille. Today, we're talking about how we're starting to see Braille in some new places. For example, Purdy's released a Braille box of chocolates this holiday season, and we'll talk about that in other places Braille is showing up and what we hope that means for equitable access in the future. So with me today is my co-host, Nika, and a return guest, Maria. Welcome back to the podcast to both of you. Hi, great to be here. So can you each uh, introduce yourselves and tell us sort of your relationship to Braille? Why is this topic important to you? Nika, why don't you go first? Sure, I'm Nika and I've been a Braille user for 15 years. I'm 20 and I learned it in kindergarten and For me, it's important because that's basically the way I can read. I can listen to audiobooks and I can rely on ebooks. However, I found it to be really empowering to actually be able to read myself. And that's just kind of something that's always been a huge part of my academic success. I relied on Braille in school and even in university, when Braille kind of became less of an availability, I still would take my note taker to class and I'd write my notes in Braille. And whenever I have an option to get a Braille version of anything, I always choose it just because that's just the way I take in information. Right. And so you can read some large print, but it's a little tedious, right? Yeah, I can read some large print and it's just yeah like you said tedious it hurts my eyes I get eye strain it's not really a feasible or sustainable option long term mm-hmm. and Maria I am not um, a frequent braille user I'm the parent of a braille reader my daughter is nine she's completely blind and she's in grade four right now so she has just kind of reached that comfort zone with reading Braille where um, she's able to read it pretty fluently and doesn't need a lot of help. So that's very exciting for us. Um, Myself, I did learn how to read Braille um, just on a pretty basic level, I guess. I took an online course through the Hadley um, School and it's free for parents of children who are blind. Um, And it took me a very long time I did it over the course of two years, kind of when she was about to enter school and then kindergarten, because I wanted 
to be able to help her with school. And I also just wanted to participate in this thing that was going to be very important in her life. So I do know Braille. I'm obviously not like, I don't read it all, all the time. So I'm very slow. And sometimes I forget what some of the, the rules and the contractions are, but I, I try my best. And yeah, that's why I'm, I'm very excited to be here and to talk about this topic because I'm starting to see now that she's becoming more fluent reading Braille, just how important it is for her. And I do have other children who are sighted. And so it's very interesting for me to be able to compare their experience um, in not just learning how to read, but also kind of navigating the world with print versus how she views things. Yes, definitely. And of course, um, I can't read any print. I didn't learn Braille till I was 18, but it is basically the only way that I can read. Um, and the alternative for me is, is audio, whether that's like electronic, a screen reader on, on my computer or audible books. So when I find Braille in my environment, I get very, very excited <laughs> uh, because it's, it makes things equitable for me, which is so exciting. So I'm really excited. We're talking about this. We are going to come back to the chocolates, but I thought we could start by talking about just accessing books because obviously, you know, when you go to your local library, you find lots and lots and lots of print books and not really many braille books. So Maria, when Elena was a preschooler, how did you get books in braille? So when Alina was a preschooler, um, I feel like things were less accessible. This would have been six, five, six years ago. Um, I think there just generally were not as as many options, but but there were some. Um, but the thing that was difficult is just getting the information and finding out what the resources are. And everything was very piecemeal. So some books we got through CNIB because they had these little um, kind of intro packages for a new family. And so you would get a couple of braille books in that. Then we found out about uh, a couple of different charities that you can apply for and they'll send your child like one or two books a year. Um, hilariously, one of them we applied for, we didn't realize it was only for religious texts. And um, <laughs> yeah, they were like, which book of the Bible would you like? And so that was totally, I, I didn't know that. Um, and then we also had learned about um, there's a there's a store called Seedlings in the U.S. that is like pretty big and a lot of people know about it. And you can you can buy books. So those are like most of those other things were free. But for Seedlings, you can just order books um, and we would tell friends and family, like, please purchase these titles because they don't have that much of a selection for kids as compared to a regular store. So we would go through their catalog and pick out the ones we thought she'd like. And then others, um, we were just really lucky that we had made connections through Blind Beginnings and we received some as gifts from people that had kind of grown past that stage um, and weren't using them anymore. So that was kind of awesome just to have people in the community share their books with us. But it was, it was very ad hoc. It was like, oh, did you know you could get one here and there? And there wasn't really um, a solid resource that we were aware of at the time. Yeah. And I should mention that these are print braille books. So they have the print and the braille. So parents of young kids who are blind probably do not know braille in most cases, maybe in some cases. Um, so th the parents can read the print and the kids can feel the braille even before they're reading it just to get 
an introduction to like what their, what their literacy is going to be like. Right. Um, when my son was a little one, I was in the same position where I wanted him to have access to books, but the only way I could read them was if they were the print braille books too. So if I just read him braille books with no pictures, he probably would have been pretty upset about that. <laughs> but I ended up making my own in many cases because it was not very easy to find them. So now that Alina's a bit older, um, maybe a little more specific about what she wants to read, how is she getting books? So actually there, there is a period of time that I did not know about. It's a very awkward time around kindergarten. For us, it was like K to grade two, three, where the kids are learning braille contractions. And I don't know if everybody knows about those, but there's like almost 200 contractions in braille. Um, I think there's 189. So it's a lot. And it's a lot. I mean, when I did the course as an adult, I found it really challenging to learn all the contractions. But especially for a kid who has never read anything before, they're learning to read and they're learning the contractions. And so you learn them, um, at least here in school, they teach them in batches. So when she started kindergarten, she only knew like five or six. And then halfway through kindergarten, maybe she was 20 and then 50 and then 100 maybe by like end of grade one. So what that does is then you don't really want your kid to be reading um, uncontracted braille because it's not challenging them to use their contractions but you also don't want to give them a fully contracted book because then they're like what is this I don't know these words so what happened between kindergarten and grade three is that the school district had to basically custom make all of her reading material to just include the contractions that she had learned up to that point and like the next ones that she was learning. I think they have a way of doing this. Like I think there's a program that they use where they just check off the ones that she knows and when it transcribes the text, only those contractions pop up. So that was really great and um, like it's so wonderful that they're able to do that. But what that means is that you can really only get the proper level reading material from school. And so it was really frustrating for her reading things that we had ordered fully contracted because she was getting really frustrated learning how to read plus having things that she hasn't been taught yet. And then the quote baby books were like kind of insulting because she's like, oh, I already know how to do that. So that was a very awkward period. I'm glad we're through it because now where we're at is we can actually read fully contracted Braille. She knows all the contractions. And so that means we can get um the fully contracted ones from the store like we can order them online or we can order them through the library because we use sila library which is kind of like the big one in canada that is um headquartered in toronto and so what we do is um if she likes some topic or a book usually we will listen to it in audiobook form just to make sure that she really is interested in it and then I will put in the order to Sila to send it to us in Braille. So we recently did that with Matilda. Uh, we listened to Matilda, awesome book, super fun. And she really liked it. And I was like, okay, I, I am certain that you will enjoy reading this. I'm not going to make someone produce this in Braille if you're not going to like it. So I put in the order and it actually wasn't very long. Like I think it was two weeks till we got the book mailed to us from Sila Library and it's free. Uh, for people who are blind and are registered with SELA. 
So that is how um, we are now getting most of her books. And then also through school, they provide the books, obviously, that they're reading in class. So that's kind of our two main sources now. Nika, do you remember that sort of awkward time when you didn't know all your contractions, but you knew some of them? For me, I, this is kind of weird, but I learned my contractions in a year. But the problem was, is that I could read them, but I couldn't write in them. Um, So I was able to read books that were uh, contracted, but I wasn't able to really write contracted. um, And I didn't really I guess get in the habit of that until third grade um but in kindergarten grade one and grade two I kind of did the whole like custom books thing my EA would make me little like books and bind them in the coils and she would actually make pictures out of different art supplies and tactile supplies so I kind of had custom made picture books so yeah we get those two um I think they make them on the Piaf machine and they're just like little tactile pictures, which I always thought was kind of weird for a kid. I think that was one of the misconceptions that was dispelled for me was I just thought she's not going to want any pictures because even a tactile picture is only two dimensional and it doesn't really feel like the thing, Mm -hmm. but actually she did learn, um, I think she learned the world of 2D images. Like she would touch the little car, the two-dimensional car, and she learned that that's the 2D shape of a car. And now if she ever touches a 2D shape of a car, she'd be like, oh, this looks just like the 2D car that I had in my books. It's kind of neat that way. So she does enjoy them after all. Hmm, That's interesting. What is the process for getting Braille materials in university, Nika? Or do you get your textbooks in Braille? Unfortunately, it isn't really possible to get um, textbooks in university, at least in Canada. I know people in the U.S. seem to have an easier time with it from what I've heard, but there is a center of accessibility at most post-secondary institutions that are public, and they do provide books in alternative formats in terms of ebooks but they're not able to do braille because basically they have to outsource it to someone else. And most people who do braille do it for like the high school system and the elementary school system. There aren't many services who do it uh, for adults, especially for textbooks and worksheets. Uh, The only time I was able to get braille in post-secondary was when I was in the music program. And that's just because I think the student who was in the music program before me Um, He had Braille textbooks and they kind of just kept his textbooks and I was able to use those. But unfortunately, it's just not really a possibility. And the only time I was able to use Braille um, in post-secondary was when I take my notes in class. So if the book is available in electronic format, can you convert it to Braille to read on your device with like refreshable Braille? Uh, In that case, then yes, I can. I can... um, I can either like connect my Braille display to my laptop, or I also have just standalone Braille Sense U2 that works without being on the computer. So I can transfer the file on a USB and put it on there. Right. Okay. Yes, we're getting techie. And uh, <laughs> so basically with some expensive equipment and a lot of extra steps, you can make it into Braille, sort of. Yeah. Like. <laughs> I, I, I've actually, I have set up, um, like, I feel like I have this, 
little basement science lab, but it's a it's a, like a brailing station because my daughter started Hebrew school this year, and um, it's just like through the through our synagogue. It's not a publicly funded educational institution, um, but they have been quite interested in making things accessible for her. So they have been converting the materials into just like a text file or a word file for me. And I take it from there. So I have a little setup in the basement. Um, someone very generously donated a really old uh, embosser to me. And then I basically nagged the school district to give me a laptop with the program that I need um, that converts text to the Braille uh, embosser format. So I've got that laptop plugged in to that uh, embosser that I got. And I just, um, bought like a giant box of the embosser paper and I it took me several weeks to figure out all the stuff but so I spend hours each week converting the materials that they send me in text to the braille format because it's not just the words that you have to convert like everything for kids on a worksheet is strangely formatted right like there's pictures there's fill in the blanks it's not just like lines of text so I spend probably an hour on each page that they give me, converting it into uh, a format that will look okay when it's brailled. And then I test print two or three times, it turns out like horrible and not really usable. So then maybe on like the fourth or fifth try, I get it right. And then I produce those. And so I have that little lab working every week now. So loud too, when you use that embosser, right? Oh yes, it's loud <laughs> and it like, there's this dust that it produces, I guess, punching up into the paper. Yeah, nobody wants to be down here when I'm doing it. <laughs> wow. Okay, so you mentioned CELA, which I can't remember what it stands for, but Canadian Equitable Library, I'm not sure what the yeah, A is. Yeah, it's the Center for Equitable Library oh. Access. Okay, not Canadian Center. Yes, um, is one of the ways that people who are blind in Canada can access books through the library, and that can be audible books and Braille, and I think large print as well. Um, NELS is another organization that we can access books through, and that stands for the National Network of Equitable Library Service. So it's a publicly funded organization. Um, so I knew that it provided books to people, individuals with print disabilities, but I didn't know that it also provides a range of digital publishing services for Canadian publishers. So basically they teach publishers how to create their books in accessible formats, including Braille, so the user can purchase them directly in an accessible format. And that some publishers are now providing these books in electronic Braille and in hard copy Braille. So this is something that Nels is advocating more publishers to do, which I think is pretty exciting. Did you guys know this? I did not. And now that I found out that both Sila and Nels actually offer Braille, I want to use these services because I've known about them for a few years and I always just assumed that they were electronic um, ebooks or audiobooks only. And I think I just relied on other people to give me Braille books for so long that when I turned 18, I kind of just didn't know what I was doing and never really thought I would be able to read Braille books ever again, just physical paper copy books. And 
I really want to try it out and see if I can actually get some of the titles I want to read available because I really miss my paper. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I didn't know about um, this. I didn't know about that particular service of Nels. I knew about Nels being kind of like a related or like similar organization to SELA um, only because I think last year there was a big kerfuffle about funding um, because funding had been cut um, by the government to those organizations. And so I had read about them in the news. Um, and so I knew that it existed, but I didn't know that one of the functions is to sort of encourage publishers to do this direct because to me, that seems um, like true ec equitable access. Like, I just feel like if you constantly have to rely on some third party organization that will sort of obtain books from publishers and and do things to them and then you end up getting whatever they sort of put out, it's not quite the same. It feels like a separate thing for people who are blind versus what we really want is giving blind people the opportunity to participate in the original, right? So I just, I like that concept, I guess. And I'm curious to know more about it. Like how does one actually do that? Because I've, I've become pretty good at navigating the SELA library system and I know how that all works and I have my account all set up, but like, how do you do this? I think I'm going to have to go do the research and figure that out. Well, I did go to the Nell's website yesterday, just because I was doing a little bit of research for this conversation. And it looks like you, you know, you, you kind of become a member or you, you know, yeah, you, <laughs> you get yourself in there somehow and then you can start doing it. I also know this is the confusing thing in Canada that if you go to your local public library, depending on where you live, they're either um, associated with SELA or NELS. It's one or the other is my understanding. So for example, I think in Port Moody, it's uh, it's Nels, but in Coquitlam, it's Sela, and I live on the border. And so I can access both somehow. Um, but yeah, it depends on where you live. But if you're associated with the CNIB library, we were all grandfathered into Sela. So it's pretty, it's a little confusing and probably we should have somebody on the podcast in the future who knows, you know, who's connected with Sela and Nels to find out more about how the heck do you sign up with these things? Um, and how can we help Nels to advocate for, you know, getting more publishers to, to buy into producing their books in these accessible formats? Because that would just really open things up for all of us. It's kind of the whole inclusive inclusivity versus accessibility thing. And I think they're really striving for like the more inclusivity side of things, which I appreciate. Mm hmm. Well, that's what I, I was trying to say. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I know we're talking, we're talking about Braille today, but even just in audible books, which is usually how I read books, you know, I have an audible account that I pay for, but then I also will download audible books from Sela and I'll try to, I'll find a book I want to read on audible, but then I'll look to see if it's available in Sela, but sometimes it's only available in a synthesized voice, not an actual human narrator. And that's not how I want to listen to a book that I'm reading for pleasure. So, you know, it, or yeah, so the, the the quality or the the just what you're able to access might not be available through the library, um, and then if the the only other alternative is is to pay 
but I guess that's kind of the case for sighted people reading books too. You're not going to find everything at the library or maybe you have to wait for it because it's on hold or whatever. So. Yeah, that's true, Sean. But so like this goes to the, the comment I made in the beginning, being able to compare what my sighted kids have access to versus my kid who is blind. And it, it's like, yeah, it's totally different. So today, for example, um, my other, my sighted daughter really likes these poetry books by Shel Silverstein. They're just like these silly short little poems. And so she has one book um, and on the back, it said that he had written a bunch of other books. Um, so we're like, oh, let's see what else he wrote. And so we just searched what other books he wrote. Uh, there, There's a, a bunch. I looked up where they were available in our local library and there's literally like 20 copies of each one. So 30 minutes later, we hop in the car and we go straight to the library and she's got the book in her hand in under an hour from when she became interested in it. Right. Versus, and, and they had that book versus the process a lot of times for Alina um, is either they don't have it at all. There was a book that kids at school were reading and Sila didn't have it. Um, and then other times they do have it, but it's either only available in this, as you mentioned, the synthesized audio, mm -hmm. which is difficult enough for an adult, forget about it for a kid. She's never gonna listen to that. Or, okay, I can order it in braille, but then yeah, I have to wait the two weeks or so to receive it. So um, it's better than nothing, of course, and we're grateful to have this level of accessibility, which I'm sure is better than what people had in the past. But when I compare it to what my other kids get, it's definitely not the same. And the kids at school are not talking about it anymore by the time she gets the book. <laughs> exactly. Oh, and that's the other thing too about um, like kids are into stuff that's current. So everybody's talking about like right now it's Avengers. Everyone's into the Avengers. And when I walk through um, not even a bookstore, like you even go to a grocery store and you know they have those little short little readers like reader level one. Um, they just have these little kids books in the magazine section. They already have all the Avengers books out. Well, mm. it's probably going to be two or three years, if ever, by the time those become like, quote, stocked at yes. the places where we access Braille. And by that time, it's like, well, that's not the cool thing anymore. It's going to be something else. So mm. it kind of loses its luster by that time. Yeah. Well, that's why I almost gave up kind of on a lot of things. Like I remember I was really into the kind of the CNIB library when then every month they'd send you books in like this giant bag. Um, and I was really into the books when I was younger, but then when I was older and got more into YA young adult books, they didn't have any of them. And I kind of just basically gave up hope of ever being able to read like chapter books in actual physical hard copy Braille. Oh, that's that is so tragic. Sad. That is. Yeah. I, I mean, yeah, I, I, I feel that I, I haven't read a book in Braille besides a board book to my young son. So <laughs> I've never actually sat down and read a chapter book in Braille. That is so intimidating to me, but I, mm, I mean, I, some of the books I've read, like the magic trio series and like the boxcar kids, those were available in Braille. Um, I remember I was able to get like the Twilight Saga in Braille. Well, hopefully we'll start to see more, more Braille books um, becoming available if more publishers are getting on board with this. Even if it's electronic Braille, that's still 
you know, you can read it on your note taker device with your braille display, not quite the same as holding that book in your hand, but I think also with braille becoming more mainstream and showing up more places, hopefully it'll be more common and kind of people will see that there's a need for it. And then more like electronic braille and physical copy braille books will be available. Yeah, that's a great segue. So let's talk about some of the other places that we're starting to see braille. Um, about a month ago, I went for lunch with a friend that I hadn't seen in a really long time. We went to a restaurant, an actual restaurant, um, because of COVID. I don't do that very often. And um, we went to Milestones and they offered me a Braille menu. And I was so shocked because I just assume there won't be like some restaurants do provide braille menus, but not very many. And I didn't even think to ask, but they saw my white cane. And so they said, Oh, would you like the braille menu? <laughs> I was like, absolutely. I would love the braille menu. Um, yeah. Are you guys finding that restaurants are, are providing a braille menu? Um, there's certain ones that kind of I always found have. And then something I used to encounter was that certain locations would have them or maybe some staff members at certain locations didn't know they had them. And in the past, like, maybe five years or so, I noticed that every time I go to a restaurant where I know for sure they have a Braille menu, they've always had it. And I've had a couple people and waiters and waitresses also ask kind of automatically if I wanted one. So I think it is being more normal. Well, I've also had the experience where I, I had been there before and I knew there was a braille menu and I've asked for it and they've been like the, what, <laughs> like, what, are, what are you asking for? And had to go in search of the, the menu. So I think that happens as well. Maria, is Alina reading braille menus anywhere? Um, well, <laughs> With three young kids, I try not to ruin other people's dinners by taking my kids to the restaurant. But um, <laughs> that's so thoughtful. <laughs> <laughs> and and also, let's be honest, also mine. Um, it's not easy. <laughs> but I'm actually curious about this because what I've noticed is that I haven't been given a menu for so long in a restaurant because of COVID. They're now using these little um, right QR, QR codes, codes and you scan it on your phone. So I had, I'm curious to know your guys' thoughts. My initial thoughts were kind of like good and bad, like bad, I guess, because how do you know where to look for that QR code and to scan it with your phone if you don't see where it is? But mm -hmm. then on the bright side, maybe if you scan it and then the menu comes up and it's readable by your device, then you can actually just listen to the menu. Yes. I think there's good potential if I could find the QR code. <laughs> <laughs> yeah that never worked for me well I'm not sure if this is true but I've also heard like someone told me that it's not accessible like once it shows up like it's in a unreadable pdf oh really it doesn't oh, just yeah. take you yeah it's not yeah maybe it depends on the restaurant like depending on how their website is laid out so it's not just taking you to their website menu it's taking you to a photo of their menu um, but sometimes so. even on their website, when you click on menu, it just pulls up a PDF. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So that's something that I think um, they need to become more aware of if they're trying to make things more accessible. Because so actually someone I know recently 
was trying to offer a brailing service to restaurants. So they were kind of going around their neighborhood and saying, hey, can I create a braille menu for you so that when you have a customer that wants one, you can provide it. And the, and the restaurants for the most part were saying, oh, no, thank you. We don't need it anymore because we're using these QR scan codes. It wasn't that they were opposed to making things accessible. They were just like, oh, we don't do hard copies anymore. So then I subsequently had the thought of, well, then the follow-up should be, okay, then let's talk about how that looks on your website so that it can actually be read by the yes. phone. Yeah, totally. Oh, that's such a good point. And now that I think about it, it's kind of weird that Milestones offered me a Braille menu in a time when <laughs> nobody's using menus. Here's the Braille menu and all of our germs. <laughs> well, I guess probably hardly anybody has touched that. So it's okay. Yeah, that's but... <laughs> true. I was going to say, maybe Milestones is onto something because I went there with some like blind friends and they offered it to us as well. Okay. It well, actually might have been the same location because we went to one in like Burnaby. Uh, this was Coquitlam. But yeah, I'm really happy. It was a great, it was a really, really pleasant surprise. Um, Nika, you were saying the other day that Starbucks has a Braille menu. How yeah, that, that was, I was so, so excited. And basically it's kind of hard and I was really stressed out asking for it for the first time because I wasn't sure if they'd be able to find it and I didn't want to hold up the line but it was pretty easy the uh, barista knew what I was talking about and she gave me the menu and I kind of just stood out of the line so I wouldn't hold anyone up kind of like how if people glance at the menu before getting in line I did the same thing and mm. it was this book um, this giant book and everything was on there and it was actually current they even had kind of more limited edition or newer stuff on there which I was pleasantly surprised about because usually I found in restaurant menus they didn't have like the featured items or any like new or limited edition deals uh, but the Starbucks menu did. So is there one at every Starbucks location? Yes um, Re- at least there's supposed to be. Oh I'll have to check that out. That's cool. I know even like even my friend who lives in a small town, um, she actually her Starbucks had one. That's encouraging. Um, I know a few years ago, Starbucks put out their gift cards with Braille that just says Starbucks on the gift card, which I do find really handy in my wallet because every single card feels the same. So having the Braille is definitely appreciated. Oh, that was amazing. I have way too many cards to memorize the order of each one. Yes. Uh, Recently, a friend of mine posted on Facebook that they ordered some shampoo in the mail. And when it came, it had Braille label, uh, Braille labels on the bottles. And so I was like, what's the name of the company? And it's Redkin. And so I ordered a shampoo and conditioner and it came and it just says shampoo on the shampoo and conditioner on the conditioner. But I was like, any company that's going to do that, like make, you know, do that extra step, I'm going to support them. I don't really like the smell, so I might not support them like every time, but, (laughs) but I just thought that was super cool. And I think there's other, other shampoo I've heard that maybe has Braille on it as well. I've seen some other things, like not just shampoo. I don't know if you guys have seen, there's now some uh, wine brands that have braille labels 
Really? Oh, yeah. Oh, um, I think I have actually quite a while ago and it was very cool. Yeah. So I was like, well, it's got Braille on it and it's wine. So yes and yes, I will be purchasing <laughs> this. Um, that was really cool. Yeah. And I, I, it's, I sometimes wonder um, whether that company has like a particular reason to do that. You know what I mean? Because it seems like such a rare thing. Like, why did they decide to do that? Do they know somebody? Or I don't know. I'm curious. Mm -hmm. Well, there's also the French store. I know I don't really know how to pronounce it. I think it's like oh, Lusitan. Yeah, and I have had such a fun time going into that store because almost everything in the store has a Braille label, and it's skincare and soaps and lotions and things like that. And it'll say lotion, and then it'll say the scent in Braille, and it's just it's like to be able to go into a store and actually, I mean, this is also like before COVID when it was not frowned upon to touch <laughs> all the things, but you could walk around and, and pick up items and read them and know what they were and actually not have to ask somebody or just feel limited in your shopping choices, right? It's like, usually I have to know exactly what I want, what brand and what scent. It's not a case of like, tell me all the scents and all the all the brands and then I'll, I'll choose. But in that particular store, you, you kind of have that privilege of making your own choice. So the, the French seem to be doing the most with mm -hmm. uh, probably because Louis Braille was French. Right. That yeah. I mean, I'm pretty sure the, there's a Sephora in Paris that actually has Braille labels on some of their stuff. Interesting. Nika, Talk about the airport experience. Yeah, so I was at a layover in the London Heathrow Airport, and I was kind of just looking around trying to kill some time. And then one of my classmates uh, came up to me and was like, oh, there's Braille labels on some of this stuff. Can you read it? And I read it, and it literally said eye drops, toothpaste, uh, like lotion. And it was so cool just because I think it's a major airport, and I think these are essentials that a lot of people need and to actually just be able to shop around and kind of look at what they have and almost browse without mm -hmm. having help, I think was really, really empowering. And, you know, it's not just the shopping. It's when you get it home and you put it in your medicine cabinet or your cupboard under the sink in the bathroom with all the other little bottles and tubes and things. And you <laughs> like, I've put polysporin on my toothbrush once thinking it was like a travel size toothpaste. <laughs> that was disgusting. Like accidents happen, right? So having that braille label is helpful all the time. And who has time to label all their things? Like it just, ah, life would be so. I mean, I totally had a shampoo and conditioner mishap a couple days ago where I used a like really drying shampoo instead of my moisturizing conditioner <laughs> yes and I'm like why isn't this working <laughs> that is just terrible Nika I I hope you can recover but I think <laughs> that's really cool though like so I, I like your story Nika about the airport and just like having the freedom to browse and look through things and just giving people that agency because one of the things that I sometimes wonder about, like my daughter hasn't complained about this. I don't know if she's old enough to like realize this is happening, but I feel like she never really has the ability to choose things for her 
herself. It's always something being brought to her or shown to her or like perfect example um, for her birthday this year, because she's a little older, we decided that she would just get some money and she could go to the store and buy the thing that she wanted and she did herself, which is like a great idea in theory. But then we go to the store and first of all, she doesn't know what anything is, even most of the time by touching because at the toy store, everything's packaged up in plastic. Mm -hmm. So you don't know what it is. And even if it's like a doll, you have no idea what the doll is wearing, what the doll has, whatever. So first of all, she didn't know what anything was. And secondly, there's no way for her to know the price of anything. And kind of like in in the background of all this is me trying to teach her about um, budgeting and how much money do you have and how much does this cost and how much are you going to spend and that sort of thing. So none of that was really easy because none of that was really available to her. I had to be the one that said, okay, on this shelf, they have this kind of doll and this kind of doll, but there's no way that I'm going to describe everything. I'm just kind of picking and choosing the things that I think are going to be appealing to her. And when I compare that experience to my other kids, um, they go into the store, they see everything and their their mind turns and they think about what do I like? Okay, there's something I like and they have that freedom to choose. I mean, on the other hand, that means that they're always asking for stuff. When we go to any store, like, you know, like even like the grocery store, they're like, oh, can I get that chocolate? I'm like, we're almost done here. Just leave me alone. But so um, it's just kind of unfair that she doesn't have that ability to choose for herself. It's always somebody telling her and and probably the same is true like we, I think at, on some prior podcast we were talking about like going to a buffet mm-hmm. and um you need somebody to tell you what everything is because you don't want to touch the stuff and and like you know get your hands on it so you you have to have somebody describe everything to you and tell you what it is served onto your plate like that's ideally you you should be able to just read a bunch of labels or read the braille on on a piece of paper that tells you what everything is and then you can decide for yourself out of all the options what it is that you would like yeah the the question that i was gonna ask at the end of this episode was sort of what do we wish was in braille and i was thinking about it and like somewhere like an ice cream shop where there's you know 52 flavors (laughs) i kind of want to know what they all are and asking somebody to read them all to me feels very needy and over the top. So if there was a guide, a braille menu, like then I could just stand off to the side and peruse it and decide what I wanted and take my time and not be waiting for someone to read everything or hope I overhear other people ordering things and <laughs> hear something I like. Like, I totally get what you mean about the choice. Yeah, I feel that way in grocery stores all the time, because I'll kind of go with my own grocery list in mind and then I think I guess the way the marketing kind of gets you is they have new stuff like at the front to kind of get your attention to make you impulse buy and on one hand it's a good thing not being able to see the new stuff because I won't impulse buy it but it's also kind of frustrating because maybe I want to impulse buy it it should be your choice whether you want to be sucked into their marketing scheme (laughs) yeah like I don't know like if it weren't for my mom I would have never known about my parmesan truffle chips (laughs) you have to go shopping with different people to open up your world because you know your whole life you eat what your mom buys and then all of a sudden you're an adult and you're like 
what is that thing being in university? Oh, yeah. Like I had living in a, residence helps with that. <laughs> like I had a friend completely introduce me to the world of like Asian grocery stores and like all these cool like different products you can't really get from everywhere. Mm-hmm. Okay, we have to talk about the Purdy's chocolate box that came out this last holiday season. Did you guys? Did you see that? Did you see the box? Yes. Yeah. I got a few. I was so excited. Oh, you, you, that's so funny, Maria, because I thought, oh man, people are going to, I'm going to get so many of these. People are going to buy me these. Well, they sold out like so quickly. I only yeah. got one box. <laughs> so this, yeah, ex- that's exactly what happened. So I was very shocked by how quickly they sold out because I subscribed to all of the mail lists and things where you would hear about that sort of thing right away. So I heard about it, I thought, pretty early on. And literally, like, that day, I went online and it said, we're sold out online, but you can try and kind of shop around at at our stores in person and see if anyone still has some in stock. And I was like, well, I don't have time for that. (laughs) So this is a bust. And then I thought to myself, now, wait a second. I have an army of social media friends that love a challenge. And actually my husband was like laughing because he's like, you don't, you don't use social media to get people to do things for you. They're, they're just scrolling through and they're lazy. They're not going to lift a finger. And I was like, no, just you wait and see. So I posted (laughs) this like plea to my friends on Instagram saying, Hey guys, look at this really cool video. There's this new Braille Purdy's chocolate box. It's sold out online please let me know if your your local store has it. And I'm not even kidding. Within 24 hours, I had two people that had just randomly found it. And then I had another person who was like, oh, I know the owner of Purdy's. Do you want me to give her a call? That was wow. so random. Yeah. And then there was another person whose um, relative works in the factory. And I was <laughs> like, oh, do you want my aunt to like skim some off the production line? I was like, no, it's okay. So I did end up getting a few um, and that was like a cool experiment just to see how much can I get people to do for me online. But yeah, so I got like two or three boxes and I gifted one to uh, my daughter's Braille teacher and then she had one. And so now we have, I think, one left over. Yeah. So <laughs> would you like one? I could drop one off. Yeah, <laughs> like I'll gladly, you know, bid on it, auction it off. <laughs> Oh yeah, we should auction it. That'd be a good fundraiser. I know a lot of people who were trying desperately to get one and uh, they couldn't, like they were, they were sold out. Yeah. They need to just make it an everyday thing. Like, why does it have to be a holiday Mm -hmm. special? Why? It it sounds like people just want to buy it all year round. Well, it was a very cool experience being able to select my own chocolate independently and I feel like they thought of everything they even had left and right brailed on the sides of the box so that you could make sure you had it facing the right way when you were reading the guide and then the guide had sort of this like these lines that you could feel between the squares so that you could figure out you know which square your chocolate was was in and it was just so clever and then the QR code on the back which would allow a sighted person to access the menu because there was no print on the box. How did you feel about the fact that there was no print, Maria? Um well there is like it says Purdy's on the front. Right. So you know that it's Purdy's chocolate. But yeah, there was no I mean I thought that was awesome because the whole point is that this is supposed to be the Braille chocolate box. Um and yeah, I agree with you Sean. I think 
am I correct in thinking that they actually consulted people on this? Like it wasn't just like Purdy's deciding to do this on their own. Like I think they asked blind people how to do it. And that's maybe how they got good tips on how to make it uber accessible. I don't know, but they must have, because I feel like they thought of everything. And I was just so, so impressed because sometimes, you know, like, like my shampoo, it just says shampoo. I, I had to ask my husband, what is the name of the brand again? Like, who is the company that like, <laughs> you know, there's no additional information, just the basics. Whereas this was, they thought of everything. It was really, really cool. It was so nice not having to play like Russian roulette with my chocolate. And I got to like <laughs> eat, I got to eat like, I guess the, the ones I wasn't excited for, I got to eat first instead of, you know, asking a sighted person to help me or guess. And then I got to save the best ones for last. And there was no weird surprises or anything. I do the opposite. I eat my favorites first and then I leave the ones I don't really like that much for anyone else. <laughs> oh, see, I just eat all of them. <laughs> I think I did eat most of them. No one really touched my box. I had it beside my computer, like beside me on the couch for like weeks. And I was, I was making it last because just the novelty, it was just such a cool. Oh, see, I ate mine in like three or four days. <laughs> and I even told my parents, I'm like, I'm keeping the box as like a memento. I'm not getting rid of it. Yeah. I hope that they do it again. I, I think it was a bit of a gimmicky trial marketing strategy, but obviously if it sold out, it worked. So Purdy's, if you're listening, we'd want more. Yes. And I really appreciate that it was written in uncontracted Braille because that's kind of accessible to everyone who reads Braille. So not all um, not all Braille users read grade two contracted Braille, but anyone who reads Braille most likely does know uncontracted Braille. Mm -hmm. That's true. Did uh, What did Alina think of the chocolates? Well, so she thought it was the coolest thing. Like she loved the box. She, I think she really did kind of appreciate that somebody took the time to make this accessible for her. Um, and she loved that the, some of the chocolate flavors are like kind of, you know, mature like the ones that have like fruit filling type things inside or so she didn't eat all of them. So we were able to finish the rest, but overall it was a really cool idea. And, um, yeah, just, I think it, it was nice for her to have something that is, as you say, Sean, like a hundred percent thought through, not just like kind of a half effort. Yeah. It was great. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Sadly, it is still a surprise when I discover Braille on something like that, but, um, I don't know. I feel like lately there've been more, more surprises, more pleasant surprises. So I hope that that's I don't know. I hope that that's a sign of the direction we're going. Um, the other thing we didn't talk about is games like Uno recently was released in Braille. I guess that was not that recently, maybe a year or two ago. I'm starting to, you know, we're starting like, I'd love to see more games with Braille so I can play with my family, but I do have Scrabble and Skippo and Uno and Monopoly and things like that. So I think hopefully we're, we're moving in that direction. Yeah. I actually found, um, this indie company or actually, uh, a friend found it for me and I talked to the owner and they basically make tarot cards. So I'm really into like that kind of more esoteric stuff. And 
when I was talking to the owner of the company, she was saying that they used to have a Braille tarot deck and that was just kind of their standard. And what she realized was that maybe someone would like to get any of the tarot cards made in Braille. So instead of having only one type of Braille tarot cards, now there's an option to make any of their tarot cards in Braille. Awesome. That's cool. Because I know it's part of the process in choosing your cards is to choose them yourself. So something about the energy and stuff. That's really cool that they've thought of that. Um, And because usually they come in a box and because uh, like the lady didn't want the braille to get squished so she put like half of them in the box and then half of them in like a really nice like bag so really thought of everything and it was nice and nothing was squished and it was very clean crisp braille nice well I feel like we need to wrap up but as we do what is is there anything that you hope to see in braille in the future any any wishes when you think about what exists and what doesn't exist I think just stores and businesses or even just, I mean, I understand it can be harder for small businesses, but I just, I think it would be nice to be able to just go to any store and be able to read packaging or be able to read what's offered or go into like farmer's markets and be able to read what's available on the table. Mm. Yeah, I agree. Actually, when I was thinking about this and to me, I think the biggest impact would be just the things that we, that people use every day, our food products, our kind of personal care products, shampoo, conditioner, soap, all that stuff, that kind of stuff. Um, yeah, like the everyday interactions that we have with the world, like when you go to a store um, to have the prices labeled, because I think um, it also creates kind of an awkward moment, right? Like when you ask what the price is of something, then that person is kind of watching you react to whether it's too expensive or you can afford it. And the rest of the people can just kind of look quickly, glance at the price. You know, you lift up the thing, you look at the bottom price tag and then you put it back down quickly. Mm-hmm. And um, I feel like prices on things would be really helpful as well. So I just think those kinds of things, it's its the little things, right, that that um, kind of eat away at you every day when you don't have that accessibility. And if we had those kinds of things, labels on, I know people do it themselves, right? Like you can buy um, labels to put on your cans. So when you put them in your pantry, you remember, oh, like this is labeled beans, it's not soup. But it would be really cool, like if a wine company can print a brailled wine label, why can't the can canning people do that for all of the food cans as well. Ask yeah, for a friend. Totally. And the and boxes, like if you think frozen pizzas and frozen waffles and frozen things that all come in boxes in your freezer, you don't want to open the box to reach inside to feel the thing to find out what it is before you take it out. Right. So having a label that just says frozen pizzas or whatever would be really nice Uh, or even bulk bins in the bulk food store like if the bins stayed the same you could just put um a label on the plastic bin Mm, yeah that's another one you don't want to reach in and touch or no one else wants you to do that (laughs) well let I guess I just want to express appreciation to the companies who have moved in this direction to include braille it is so appreciated and 
and hopefully we'll see more and more. Thank you guys for joining me for this conversation. This has been really great. It was a pleasure. And happy belated World Braille Day. (laughs) Yay. You've been listening to Limitless. If you have a question, a comment, a future topic request, please send us an email to limitless at blindbeginnings.ca. Please share our podcast with a friend, like, subscribe, follow, and join us next time. This podcast has been brought to you by Blind Beginnings, an organization based in Vancouver, Canada, that supports children and youth who are blind or partially sighted along with their families. Music for this podcast is composed by Sean Bishop and Clement Chow. Production and audio editing by Rob Minot. For more information about Blind Beginnings and the work it does to support children and youth who are blind and partially sighted along with their families, visit us on the web at www.blindbeginnings.ca and also remember to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. We thank you for joining us and we look forward to seeing you next time.